We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay our respects to Elders past, present and Aboriginal Elders emerging. The Vale Podcast, mowed down by your local Husqvarna dealer, Auto Pro Robin Vale. We've spoken to a few politicians since beginning this podcast in August. Mildura's State Representative Ali Kappa has been a regular. Member for Murray Plains, Peter Walsh, has also had a chat along with a few other representatives. However, we've not been able to get any federal members until now. Like the rest of us, this time of year means a little R&R for federal member for Mallee, Dr Anne Webster. So I managed to give her a call and have a chat about the topics you've told us are the most important in Robin Vale. Enjoy this special edition of the Vale podcast with Dr Anne Webster. Uh, hi, Dad. It's wonderful to be with you, able to um, have a conversation. Are you home in Mildura at the moment? I just got home last night. Yes, and you're right. It has been a very, very busy time. It, very busy. And you've recently had surgery too, and you're still traipsing all over the place. Yeah, look, surgery and um, political life doesn't go very well, just saying. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to having a few days off to try and do a bit more rehab, which I need to do. Yeah, so you've had knee surgery. And um, yeah. just just to clear things up, you aren't Dr Anne Webster. You're not operating on yourself. But... <laughs> thankfully, no. <laughs> no. Uh, but people have asked me what you're a doctor of. You're a doctor of sociology, correct? That's right, yeah. So it's actually called Doctor of Philosophy. And uh, while people might go, oh, it's just ideological rubbish, um, it's actually a doctor of sociology. So I've just finished uh, 13 years of university last December and graduated with my PhD in sociology. So um, that, for those who don't know what sociology is, some people think it's to do with psychology and nothing out how people think about things. Uh, but it's not. It's looking at the world. It's looking at how we live our lives in a culture with politics, um, economics, uh, cultural factors. And how that influences how individuals live their lives. So I found it extremely interesting. And I think it's actually a really good background for politics. Well, I think it gives you a broader base. Um, some would say, well, I'm not a farmer. You know, how can I possibly represent um, agricultural or horticultural? And it's true, this year has been a steep learning curve. And I have enjoyed learning immensely. And there's much, much more to do. Uh, but I think it does give... Uh, me a way of thinking about things. You know, what do I need to do? What is possible for me at a federal government level? Uh, what needs to be done at a state government level? What needs to be done at a local government level? And what is industry and um, our communities, you know, responsibilities or uh, sectors, if you like? How do we all work together so that people live their lives in a fruitful way? Mm, does it give you a broader understanding of how people think in different in different areas, particularly around Mali, and how they're going to react to different different issues and different news? Yeah, look, I, uh, I by no means uh, think of myself as a guru anyway, in any way, shape or form. I think that we actually have really a very diverse electorate in Mali. Um, I'm really always surprised about that. Even if you look at this year and how the um, harvest has turned out or is turning out for people down south who are doing extremely well, actually, many of them, um, compared to in the north and northwest in particular, you know, we have very, very challenging times and um, some are needing 
more support than others. Then we've got stepping aside from the um, industry of primary industry, then we have those who are welfare dependent. And we've got pockets within Mali that have higher welfare dependency. And now, of course, we've got diverse um, cultures and races here in Mali that Mm. I don't think we've given enough, I don't think we've done enough work yet to um, look at integration and how we uh, embrace and support those other cultures. I think there's lots more work to be done on that. And, you know, I mean, diversity is endless. We've got, we've got kids at school, kids at school with um, P12, you know, 30 kids at, mm. from P to 12 in some small sections and even smaller, uh, smaller communities. And then we've got uh, quite large areas such as Melchior, which really have really large numbers of um, students in one school. Mm. So, yeah, look, there's just so much variation. It's Yeah, there really is. And the manufacturing industry is really booming. And even Mildura, you drive along some of the industrial estates and business is just going berserk. Yeah, which is a wonderful thing. We all want to see that happen. Mm. And um, we want to see that supported in whatever way uh, possible. So Mm. I won't get all all political on you on on these small um, uh, family business tax issues, you know, and the things that have been addressed. But I think that there have been some really good measures put in place by the coalition this year that have really assisted. And we want to see, um, particularly like even this week, I've been down in Charlton uh, with 25 stakeholders um, from industry through to RTOs and TAFE and local government plus uh, the federal government, Department of Employment were present, uh, talking about apprenticeships and traineeships and how do we... Um, um, inspire, if you like, motivate young people to take up apprenticeships and traineeships because there are some fantastic futures to be had there. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We had Daryl McClure, who is from the Robinvale College. We had him on earlier and we were talking about the opportunities that now present themselves with secondary schooling and you've got VCAL and VET and the opportunity to do school-based apprenticeships, which means you can leave high school now almost half qualified, if not fully qualified in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. And step into, if you wanted to pursue further training, you could be working part-time while you are pursuing that further training. Uh, There are just so many more options now. And and the uh, government is really committed to, um, you know, providing impetus for that sector to increase. We're looking at increasing um, apprenticeships and traineeships to 80,000 new ones in the next five years. So there's quite a strong push and billions of dollars being put into that, uh, which a large amount of that goes to the state and territory Mm. uh, to actually operationalise how that happens. Wow, that's great. More apprentices on the ground is always a good thing. Moving on to, it's 40, what are we at? 42 degrees or something ridiculous at the moment. But we do live in the Mallee and it's going to get hot and it's the middle of December, so be it. But a lot of the grape growers around here at the moment are busy watering and we've talked about water until, honestly, we're, we're blue in the face. But I, I wanted to ask you, there's been talk about different suggestions being uh, amendments made to the Water Act. Is yep. that likely to happen or is the coalition actively advocating for changes to the Water Act? Uh, Look, what we're looking at is, uh, particularly the National Party, is how can we assist our irrigators uh, to be able to gain better access to water? It's not just the cost, it's also deliverability that's clearly the issue. Um, And we need to look at um, modifications, we believe. 
within the Water Act right now, there is scope for the shoe to sell off water um, at you know particular times, but we think that there should be quite clear statements about drought triggers so that within the valleys there would be uh, drought triggers that could be um, be met, which I would suspect we would be in right now, mm. where some of the two would be released back for sale, which would bring down the water price, obviously supply demand, um, and make water more accessible. I mean, it's not it's not a panacea. Like almost anything that you're talking about when it comes to water, and obviously many other complex issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, have a silver bullet. There is no silver bullet, but it mm. could well be a piece of the puzzle that may assist because we want to see our farmers survive these droughts. And, um, you know, this is, this is the worst drought on record. It is the worst drought on record. There was talk, uh, many, well, John Howard, um, you know, gave that this speech to the press club about drought-proofing Australia and this scheme and that scheme and dams and all the rest of it. Is that yep. ever a ever a possibility? Do you think, in real terms, like we, you know, you can talk until you're blue in the face, but in real terms, do you think that's a possibility? Uh, I, it has to be a possibility. Mm. Um, there, uh, there's a new dam that has been um, approved to go ahead in northern New South Wales. That's really essential, um, and we must have other dams. If we don't develop these dams, uh, then we're not drought proofing. The, the I think the key issue with water is that it's federalised. So states actually have the ultimate control and if they choose, as we've seen this week, as David Littleproud has tried to get Ms. Kelty to have some more um, power to investigate water uh, sharing, the water sharing agreement from um, 1914, 1904, uh, we how we can't make them. That's the problem. And mm. so the states have to cooperate uh, with the process of trying to find solutions. And while we have parochial state views um, and uh, states only looking out for their own patch, there is a big problem um, of being able to sufficiently drought-proof for the future. The coalition has billions of dollars on the table for water infrastructure um, that the states have to match it. Uh, that's just the way the rules are, and uh, we're not finding that states necessarily cooperating with that. Mm. Uh, water infrastructure itself, such as the Wimmera Mallee Pipeline, I mean, I've just been down into the Wimmera this week, and honestly, every person, because it was quite hot down there as well, said to me, what, a, what an incredible solution that that pipeline has been to them, and I just think we need more of them. Mm. We need to be managing our water, which is, you know, any given day, finite resource, um, we need to manage it better. And uh, that takes a, you know, a responsible, measured, serious and collaborative approach in order for those coward dreams um, of drought-proofing to actually take place. That's the first time I think I've ever heard, and we've spoken to a lot of people about the water issue and about infrastructure and what can be done, and we've spoken to people from all sides of the fence, and I think that's the first time I've ever actually heard someone in Parliament say, yes, we actually do need more pipelines, we need more dams, and we need more infrastructure. So, thank you. I know. Really? Well, yeah. And it's, I'm it's, horrified. It's, you know, maybe we're talking to the wrong people. I don't, I'm not sure. But um, I know the growers around here, particularly the ones that I meet with and that come on the podcast, 
they say the same thing and then when we we talk to to bureaucrats or it, it's one of those things that gets danced around a lot they don't want to say yes we do need it or no we don't it's one of those middle and i don't think there is room for sitting on the fence as far as the water issue goes it's it's well beyond that well that's what i think and i think that um uh, there's nothing like a drought to make people uh, sit up straight and to take their responsibility seriously. And um, I certainly, I didn't step into this role thinking that I would have a cushy ride. There was going to be some hard yards that needed to be uh, fought for the interests of those in Mali. And this is one that is just, it's just absolutely necessary. So I will continue to fight. Um, and I want to see more water infrastructure in Mali because uh, we've got, I've got areas in Mali that uh, I'm already advocating for pipelines who are just being bounced around, as you say, by bureaucrats um, and not getting any results. It's just not good enough. When we talk about being bounced around and uh, other things we need, I'm going to jump right ahead just to, I know you're all over this, the Murray-Darling Rail Project, and we talk about roads and, you know, it's just the state issue you know, even when we were driving home from Melbourne the other day, my husband looked at me as we were exiting the freeway uh, to go to Morong and he goes, thanks for visiting Victoria. Please come back soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, we so should not laugh. We should not laugh. I know we shouldn't laugh and I shouldn't have laughed then either because I was reading at the time. But I lost it. I went, you're absolutely right. And he's not a political head at all. But... The fact that we're advocating for roads, and I know our member in, for Mildura, Ali Cupper, is as well, particularly for the Robinvale Sea Lake Road, which is in a dire state and an eight-kilometre speed limit at the moment. But then to tell us that they're not going to complete the Murray-Darling Rail Project, you can, you can understand why people in Mallee, and it's not just Mildura and, and the north of the electorate, it's, it's people everywhere we're really struggling to comprehend why that rail project won't get won't get fully funded, but yet East West well, Link are going to go a billion dollars over budget, and that seems to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's not just cynicism. I think that people in Mali have good reason to feel uh, fairly. Um, no, perhaps it is cynical that uh, there is a lack of. Um, commitment to those areas such as Mali who are outside the Golden Triangle um, around Melbourne and we're really sick and tired of it and um, I've called for Premier Andrews from the floor of Parliament to work in good faith and constructively with us. I know the Deputy Prime Minister, I was in Melbourne with the Deputy Prime Minister when he was having meetings with them to talk specifically about this uh, the Murray Basin Rail Project, and um, you know, it's it's just not good enough. And I I think I read this morning somebody was saying, you know, people feel like we're second class citizens. We are not second class citizens, and uh, we will not be treated that way. So I think we need to get you know have a long song and dance about this on an ongoing basis. Um, I think that. Uh, they need to come to the table with the funding. The federal government's actually committed over fifty eight sorry, $240 million of the total $440 million project so far um, and it needs to get done. And the Victorian Labor government needs to uh, explain to the people of Mali why it hasn't been done. Mm. Uh, with regard to roads, so Jade, I think that uh, 
the other thing that people of Mali can be encouraged about is that the federal government has committed over $58 million across Mali to local councils um, mm. to under the Roads to Recovery program, and that includes $24 million in Mildura and Swan Hillshire councils. So $24 million, I know it doesn't make a freeway, um, but it certainly goes some way to repairing the roads. So, you know, there's money there and um, local constituents have a right to say, well, where are you going to be spending it? Mm. Where's, it going to, where's it going to be going? And so and the state Labor government needs to provide further funding on the roads that are in their jurisdiction. I think what that's what makes it difficult for people to understand is, you know, which road is under... Who? Yeah. Who's got the responsibility? Yeah, that's it. And I did see I did see that on the Roads to Recovery table uh, yesterday at the council meeting and went, oh, that's amazing. But you're absolutely right. The, the community do need to let us know, let council know um, which roads are in disrepair because there's only so many roads that I can ride and, and drive on every day. And we do get a lot of calls, but formally writing letters and communicating with council in a productive yeah. way is absolutely yeah. key to getting the change you need isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And look, I mean, you and I both know that um, people contact you for all manner of things and those who come to you with constructive solutions are just a breath of fresh air. Um, And it helps you and it helps me to know where to put your fight. Yeah, that's exactly right. And speaking about Fire, nice little segue, but um, the labour issue is one that we we discussed when we were live at AutoPro this afternoon. we were talking to someone actually that runs a, a share house accommodation in Euston um, and he's had people from Sydney come back year after year um, and use his facilities. And we got talking about the, the RAMP program, the Regional Agricultural Migration Program. Um, yep. And there's a lot of growers around here that went along to the Seasonal Workers Expo that was in Euston in, I want to say, September, October. And a lot of people have, have used the services that were talked about at that expo and some of the exhibitors and all that kind thing which is great but given the numbers that I've seen in the last week or so some of these numbers of the labour force that growers are telling us it's required and they do require a lot because there's a lot of vines and all the rest of it mm. but there's only been 27 applicants for the ramp is that correct that's right that's right so um yes I'm quoted in the paper today as saying that we had we've had three sponsors apply for 27 workers that's nowhere near the same thousand Jake no it's not uh, so we've been in touch with the industry to say, what do you think's going on here? Uh, the answers we've got so far are that they think that industry will step up early January. My hope is that that's not too late. While these 27 uh, people were approved in five days, to leave the run late uh, risks is mm. taking longer because there's no guarantee it'll take five days. Um, and there are... You know, there are issues. Some people would prefer also to continue using the 462 backpackers. Um, I think, look, that's fine if that's what they want to do. We've enlarged that visa so that people from Southeast Asia and, you know, a variety of other countries can come. Mm. Uh, what, what industry needs to understand is that that only gives you guaranteed 88 days because they're here for a holiday. Yeah. So they may just take off and if they've done their 88 days, they may come back the following year for another 88 days and then they can come back the following year. But if you're wanting a consistent workforce, then the Seasonal Workforce Program and the uh, Pacific Labor Scheme are both two schemes that will give you six to nine months. It's been increased to nine months, I should say. Mm. Uh, nine months work. And 
the workers can go between farms. So if you've only got a month's work, somebody else uh, may have another month's work and so forth, and they can go between regions. So they can go literally from one kind of harvest to another and pick up that nine months of work. Uh, there are accommodation liaison officers, there are regional uh, coordinators. Uh, we've put a lot of work into engaging with industry and hearing what growers have to say. I think you know we brought um, six of the federal departments to Mali. I mean, mm. I don't think that's happened before. No. And the positive thing about that, I mean, it was a great discussion and there was some robust debate. Yeah. But the other thing about that was that following that meeting, I've had Danielle from Minister McKenzie's office contact me on a number of times just to ask questions and, you know, actually calling the people, her contacts on the ground, yeah. me, to find yeah. out what the growers are saying, what's needed, and that, yeah. that being flexible between farms and between uh, hosts or labour hire hosts, as it's now known in, in Victoria, that was a key thing and that's been a key change, which is really positive. Yes. Yeah, it is, absolutely. I think the uh, key sticking point still is accommodation. Mm. Uh, again, um, this is for the state member to pick up and uh, put some pressure on the state government to uh, get into this space because it's an urgent need. You can't get a seasonal workforce um, person nor a Pacific Labor uh, scheme person to come without accommodation and that is a Victorian state government issue. So I have written to Minister, Minister Jacqueline Symes and Richard Wynne. I know Minister McKenzie has also written and we're putting pressure on them. Please, can you step up? Mm. This, is an, this is an urgent need and work with local, gov- local government to um, make a way, yeah. make some flexibility around this so that we can assure industry of um, the support that they need. Mm. And that is that is one of the major, major issues that we find here, particularly in Robinvale, and I'm sure other regions are no different, is that the planning scheme as it sits at the moment, which is the state's planning scheme, doesn't really allow for flexibility with on-farm accommodation. You know, they, it gets to a point where the classification needs to be moved, which means more money, up to half a million dollars in some cases, um, needs to be spent to create more amenities so it can be a, a resident hotel and and so on and so forth so yeah yeah getting yeah. getting these classifications and flexibility into the planning scheme is clear given especially now that we've had the population determination study and housing strategy completed and adopted by yeah. council last night um, to proceed with an action plan yeah which is is fantastic and you'll get a copy of that report and the action plan as well and uh, right. it will formally ask you to mention that on the floor of Parliament in your 90-second statement. Is that a possibility, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Fantastic. Uh, because, yeah, no, happy to because, look, these are critical issues to the success of the um, industry this year and the horticultural harvest. And uh, we all want the same thing. We want it to be successful. We want a legal workforce. We want an even playing field. And, uh, yeah, mm. I just think we to do whatever we can. Mm. And it's not only that. I mean, we see in, we see the agricultural industry changing really quite rapidly, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years. And there's a lot of people at the moment that would love to stay on their farms um, and, you know, sell the sell their 40 hectares or whatever the original soldier se- settlement may have been, 30, 30 acres or 40 acres, whatever it is. Planning yeah. schemes don't really allow 
for that for all sorts of, of different reasons. But this is a planning scheme that's been written from a desk in, in Spring Street that I don't think really considers regions such as ours um, to be a little more flexible. There's sort of black and white rules and it's yes or no. Do you think yeah. there's yeah. do you think there's scope to and again this is a state question, but do you think there's scope to perhaps advocate for a regional planning scheme? Oh, I'll I think it's a great idea. In fact, I hope that uh, the council has done so because it is uh, it, it just makes perfect sense. There are so many issues that we face in regional and rural areas that really need a regional and rural lens. They need a framework that understands that urban-centric policymaking does not work mm. in regional and rural settings. And what you're talking about in your combination space is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. And, and it's not just the accommodation space. It's it's pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, I mean, as you know, I'm really passionate about um, healthcare. Same thing. You know, mm. we don't need urban-centric policy that continues uh, to prop up medical models that work in the city but mm. do not work in our regional areas. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a discussion for another time, but it's certainly something that I'm uh, very keen to position Mali um, as a pilot in the future to see what we can do to improve regional and rural healthcare. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely key. And again, that's another issue that I think being... Hopefully the population determination study will help to advocate for uh, more federal funding for healthcare and things like that if we can get government departments to recognise that our, uh, our population is closer to 8,000 than it is to 3,000. Yeah. But it is certainly something that, I mean, we have Dr Jane Nealon here who has private practice, looks after the aged care hostel and looks after the hospital as well. And she's got a two-year-old son. Yes. That's yeah, she's a saint. I think she needs to move into Saintland. Yes, she really does need to move into Saintland. It, it, but that's not sustainable long term. She's doing a magnificent job. But again, it comes down to we can't, at the moment, there's not nothing really to offer another doctor, more healthcare workers because of the accommodation issue. And you and I both know that if we had the opportunity to offer some rural lifestyle lots um, and rezone some of the land we've got available, that that might be an issue and more attractive to a um, professional workforce, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, absolutely. And uh, look, I think that it needs to be very holistic. I have certainly an integrated healthcare uh, model that I'm very keen on that sees a supported environment, a professionally supported environment for uh, not just GPs but nurse practitioners, allied health, uh, which needs to have training components and uh, needs to be really hub and spoke or centre and you know arteries out into our smaller regions mm-hmm. that will work work much better than what we have right now because the strain on you know people. People like Jane who are doing an immense job and my husband came out, for those who don't know, 42 years ago and put his shingle up on the wall um, as a medical doctor here in Mildura and, you know, he knew at that time it was going to be 24-7 and that's just the way it is. Mm. Whereas the general practitioners who are coming out today have a different expectation of their uh, work-life balance, of how they want to live their lives, and that's perfectly fine. That's their choice. But we need to actually manage that in terms of the structure of healthcare and how it's delivered so that our communities are actually receiving the healthcare they need. Mm. One positive thing that 
hopefully will drive with regard to accommodation and hopefully the flow-on effect after that will be Robin Vale yep. Euston Accommodation Committee Incorporated has been formed with key stakeholders from Robin Vale District Health Services, from a lot of the, the big corporates around the place, Euston Club are also involved, to actively try and find a solution from philanthropics, from the corporates and from, uh, from council as well to try and actively and proactively fix part thereof of the, the accommodation the accommodation crisis with regard to executive management but we, we also need you know worker accommodation worker villages and all that it's, yeah there's yeah. not it's it's one of those things that it's not going to be a one size fits all so there is a bit of work to do but i think with a bit of advocacy work we could we'll certainly get there yeah look absolutely like everything until you acknowledge the gap and try and work through what is the reason what are they what brought us to this point and then you can't really look at the solutions because you haven't identified um, how it's, how we've arrived here. Mm. And um, I think that's part of the process, you know, and it's very encouraging that you've got the group together. There'll be some exciting announcements to come very early in the new year too, so uh, subscribe to the podcast and you'll be the first to find out. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, just back on the labour thing for a moment, yep. we were talking about the processing time of getting these workers through the seasonal worker program and the Pacific Islander scheme processed in five days, which is, I said it earlier to uh, to someone on at the live broadcast, that that's Possibly in any government department, I think that's the quickest processing time I've ever heard of. Well, I think it is, uh, it's indicative of how seriously um, these six departments of federal government are. And also the Prime Minister, I mean, I've been in the room with him and he has said we need to make this work. Mm. Uh, and so the commitment of the government to our area, this is Sunraysia, you know, we're, the government is focused on Sunraysia and how we're working this out. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that there is a great opportunity here for us to be the pilot that is then rolled out uh, over the nation, you know, in terms of our port agricultural visa issues. So uh, it's not that we're stuck. What we have in terms of the ramp is not the end of the story. There is um, there's great scope for uh, evaluation and flexibility and being able to address the issues as they arise. But I think unless we put our back into it and try and make it work, um, then we don't really have a right to then criticise it, you know? I think that's the key point that we need to illustrate here is that this is a pilot program and Timor Lest is included in that, which is part of Southeast Asia. But in any case, you know, that's yeah. part that's part of the world that a lot of our labour force has, has come from historically. Yeah. But it is a pilot program. So if it doesn't get used, then we have no grounds to ask for something different if we're not using this in the first case. Yeah, that's right. And look, that's not taking away people's um, prerogative to use the 462 backpackers if that's what they're comfortable with and they don't want to change, that's fine. Uh, but I think that the ramp has been developed uh, and there will be an industry agreement announced soon, which I'm looking forward to also talking about, which will be part of the ramp. Uh, that will be helpful. And, you know, I think people need to know there's $20 million investment in this pilot. It's not, it's 
not just hot air. You know, there's a real commitment here to make it work and we need industry to step up and make it work. And don't leave your run too late because that five days processing time, if if they've got more than, you know, a few applicants, it's it's going to take a lot longer than that to work through a, a pile of paperwork. So don't be under the uh, misconception that it's going to be five days all of the time. Yeah. So you can apply straight away but give timeframes as to when you need workers to arrive. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, as, a, as a producer, you determine when you want the workers and uh, uh, where you want them to come from. Uh, and so there's, you know, flexibility there. And the regional coordinator, uh, Matt Holland is the local regional coordinator and there's another one um, beginning shortly and the, the accommodation liaison officer is beginning 1st of, or 2nd of January. Um, so there are five uh, approved, um, I'm not sure what they're called. They're not contractors. I don't want to say the wrong name, but Maydeck, Top of the Crop. There are several others um, who can be applied to for uh, labour. And if producers want to become their own approved employer, that's fine as well. But they need to be aware that it does take a few months to actually go through that process mm. because you've got to prove that you can provide the accommodation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think um, from growers, just having conversations with growers this morning, that's that's the main sticking point, being able to provide that that accommodation is a real issue. But a few yeah. have also mentioned that they have been in in contact with the labour hire providers, which is what it's called under the yep. labour hire authority in Victoria now. Yep. They've been in contact with people like Top of the Crop and so on and so forth yep. about getting workers here. So maybe it is a case of, yeah, the numbers look low at the moment, but maybe it's a case of there's this is the calm before the storm. We'll get Christmas yeah, look, out of the I way. And then, so. mm. Yeah, yeah, look, I certainly hope so. Um, uh, I know that we've got over a 1,000 um, of the seasonal worker program um, people here in Sunraysia at the moment who have been here longer term than just the last few months. So the 27 are the new applicants that have been made since the ramp has been made available. It's um, still nowhere near that, you know, 10, 15,000 number that has been um, communicated. So, yeah, look, let's... let's watch his face. And we shall uh, talk about it again, hopefully, just before harvest starts and see how those numbers are tracking. Dr. Webster, thank you so much for making yourself available for me today. Um, It's really appreciated and I know growers, residents um, and community members are really going to appreciate sitting down and having a conversation with you and we will hopefully see you in Robinvale. If not, get you back on the podcast very, very soon. Oh, look, I'd love to be down in Robinvale and uh, more than happy to have conversations uh, with producers. And I was just reflecting yesterday with my comms um, staffer that we have not done a mobile office in Robinvale. So that's one of the first things that will happen in the year. Terrific. That sounds fantastic. I would leave your diary way open and available when that when that occurs because you'll be pretty busy, I would imagine. Have a Merry Christmas. Put your knee up and do some rehab and uh, yeah. enjoy a bit of downtime. When do you get back to work? Well, I mean, you're working all the time, but how long have you got off? Uh, look, my office will be open again on the 6th of January. So we're having a couple of weeks there where um, I think it's a couple of weeks. Maybe it isn't. No, it is a couple of weeks. That is basically shut down and uh, that will be a well-deserved break. And look, I hope others who aren't in harvest right now can do the same thing. Yeah, I think everyone just needs to have a big long nap come Christmas Day. (laughs) 
been a big year. It has been a big year. It has been a big year, but it's been a positive one. So let's hope the momentum keeps going into next year. Have a happy new year and a very Merry Christmas. A very Merry Christmas to you, Jade, and to all of your listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, a little insight into Dr. Webster's background, her thoughts and opinions on issues that do need addressing, and a very easy conversation to have. Granted, and I don't know if it's just me, but I haven't had a politician yet who struggles with the art of conversation. A shout out to our patrons who got to have a listen to this interview a full two days ahead of everyone else because they're actively supporting the show. You can too on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash The Veil Podcast. We have one more episode to go for the year and then we're taking a little break. Next week, Crystal Williams is back from Robinvale Police. She's in to have a holiday season catch-up. Hopefully, we'll have Nikki or Anna from RDHS School Holiday Program. And depending on how things are looking, Donnie might just be back or we might have to grab somebody else who's back in town for the holidays. If you've got any suggestions, please let me know via the website. The Vale Podcast. Gone camping thanks to Auto Pro Robin Vale.